0: Pastor Xavier with lessons learned from King David for how to guard against sin. The deception of sin and our own deception
1: is, well, uh, just one more day. Well, as soon as I get this squared away, as soon as things happen. No. It's right then and there. We must understand that sin is a cancer. It will not go away if you ignore it. It is all malignant, resulting in death. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. It's a fact that many Christians struggle with sin. Even though we have been forgiven by the blood of Christ, dealing and confronting the sin that lives within us is a daily battle. King David, a man after God's own heart, fell into sin and suffered for it. Yet, it was Nathan's confrontation of David's sin that provides us with a powerful example of humbleness of heart before God. Pastor Xavier continues our series in the book of 2 Samuel with some simple truths of guarding our lives against sin. Let's listen.
1: David has seemingly gotten away with the sin of adultery. For only he, Bathsheba, Joab, and a few others who were aware of the sending out for Bathsheba knew about it. David has passed himself off as presenting himself as very gracious, kind, and benevolent by having taken this pregnant woman, the wife of Uriah, a glorious, heroic warrior who has died for the nation, and he's going to take her as his wife and raise his child, while in reality, he has conducted himself treacherously and ruthlessly in the entire matter. In fact, The close of chapter 11 is a thing that we should always focus on. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord Yahweh. This was the closing statement regarding the events. Too often, we are concerned with what man says rather than what God says. This is where we go wrong. If you are living before this world to please men, or you're living by the standards and the morals and the ethics of this world, you're out to lunch you're missing the mark. It is God and His Word. And sadly, too many people think they're on their way to heaven and they're on their way to hell. Self-deception is the worst form of deception, and God was going to send here the prophet Nathan to confront David regarding the sin of adultery as well as the sins that followed to cover up that very act. I pray that as we study this section that God would deal with each of us regarding confronting our own sin right away. Confronting a believer if they have been in sin or are in sin and to warn us from thinking that we can get away with sin. I mean, God has gone out of his way to record this for all generations. How would you like God to record one of your big mistakes for all to learn from? Let's not waste them. Let me read here verse 1 through 14. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him, and he said to him, There were two men in the city, one rich, and one poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except the little ewe lamb, which he had brought up and nourished, and it grew uh, up together with him and with his children. It ate at his own food and drank with his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man and refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one of the very men who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the men who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly aroused, the man said uh, and, and the man and he said to Nathan, "As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man' "'Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandments of the Lord to do evil in His sight?' You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son." For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. And then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord Yahweh. And Nathan said to David, The Lord Yahweh also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Nathan presents itself before David to bring him face to face with the sin of adultery. It's characterized by the three following things. First, the confrontation of the sin, verse 1 through 6, the confrontation of the sin. Secondly, you have the accusation of various sins in verse 7 through 9. And then thirdly, we have the adjudication for sins, the consequences. They're going to be laid out. Let's begin here. The confrontation of the sin, 1 through 7. Notice verse 1 through 4. The Lord sent Nathan unto David. The Lord is the one calling David to account through Nathan the prophet. Good friends. Ironically, the word sent was repeated over and over again in the previous chapter as David sent, sent, sent. He sent for Bathsheba. He sent Uriah to to die. And all of a sudden now God sends his prophet. Nathan had been used by God. To speak to David on many other occasions. He was his friend, his counselor, his confidant. This was not an easy task for uh, Nathan here. If you've ever had to confront a friend who's in sin, it's difficult, especially when, if they refuse to acknowledge it, if they refuse to repent, the destruction, the turmoil that goes on. But you must confront. You cannot turn a deaf ear, you cannot turn your back if you're a Christian, if you love them. You will confront them. Notice at the end of verse 1 on down, the confrontation was delivered in a parabolic form with all the accurate facts and information revealed by God. God doesn't need witnesses. God doesn't need to to receive information from any of us, okay? He knows exactly. Nathan didn't know anything. He gives it all to him. The story is an accurate picture of David's sin. Notice in verse 1 at the end there, the two men, rich and the other poor, represent David and Uriah. The rich man, David, had many flocks, hers meaning wise, while the poor man, Uriah, had nothing but one little lamb that he loved with great affection, Bathsheba. The rich man, in verse 4, having visiting travelers, refused to take one of his own flock, but he took the little lamb of the poor man. The abuse of power and pain, afflicted, is accurate. But as you're going to notice, as Nathan here is declaring this, David is totally oblivious. He has deceived himself thinking that he's gotten away with it. He's callous his mind and conscience to God. The rich man David took authority over the wife of another, you see. The poor man Uriah suffered the loss of Bathsheba's loyalty and faithfulness as a wife, even though he never knew it. It doesn't matter. She knew it. David knew it. God knew it, most important. The little lamb Bathsheba was destroyed. She witnessed the death of her husband and the destruction of a king and the death of her son. A pretty high price to pay for, give yourself a few hours, a few weeks, a few months of pleasure. The time factor is clear. It is prior to the ninth month for the birth of the child. As you know in Corinthians, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5, 5, there was a young man that was sleeping with his stepmother. And uh, Paul tells the Corinthians to confront him. They were just letting him fellowship like nothing else. Now, we're not here, we're not here to chase you around and find out what you're doing or you know, and, you know, interrogate you. No. If you come here, I take you at your word that you're a Christian, you're walking with God, you want to please him. But when information comes to us, we may confront you. We're to do it in the right way, and we're gonna go through that. But if we're willfully living in sin, then we're hindering the body of Christ. And certainly, we can't just shut our eyes to it, right? Your coming here says that you submit yourself to the lordship of Christ and the word of God. Not to us. We can't force you to repent, but we can't ask you not to fellowship if you refuse to repent. And that's the biblical right, you understand? Now, nobody wants to do that today. Everybody's become a panty waste today. Non-judgmental. That's not loving. It's the most loving thing you can do. The most unloving thing you can do is not confront when people are in sin. They're destroying their lives and the lives of others. Look at 5 and 6. The response of David is, was instant. Don't miss it. David's anger. He can hear this thing and you know he's like a volcano. It's, it's, it's growing and growing and growing. Until just he hears the last of it and he's greatly aroused against the man. And the ugliness of the sin that is his caused the truth that he knew to inflame him. He says, this is selfish, but he didn't see himself in this. You see what I mean? The man David did not see himself at this point. Sin deceives us, and we deceive ourselves. Notice the oath of David was, as the Lord Yahweh lives, the the man who has done this shall surely die. Literally, is a son of death. Wow. My sin always looks uglier on someone else. I mean, if I fail, I I can understand it. But you, you're a dog. (laughs) You understand? That's the problem with being sinners. We're very partial to ourselves. My judgment is much harsher on others for failing. Give me the potential of being a hypocrite. My judgment is self-condemning. If I'm judging others for what I'm doing myself. Look at verse 6. The judgment of David is insightful. The restoration was to be fourfold. According to the law, Exodus 22 1. He knew the law. He's a judge. He knows the law. Deuteronomy 17. The king was to make a copy of the law, copy it himself, read it. Did he not go to the left, the right, not exalt himself up against his brethren? That was his responsibility as king. That means that he knew what he had done was wrong. The reason was because of his sin and he had no pity pity is mercy which is given to one who cannot help himself one who is at a disadvantage therefore being kind and gracious to them in fact the tone of our voice and the posture of our physical being will demonstrate that we are being compassionate and and having pity for the individual uh, are are you okay our voice tone and and the body posture will dictate that you don't just say, "You okay?" You don't do that. Now, Paul the apostle confronted Peter, as you know, face to face, because he walked both sides of the street. Galatians two, eleven through fourteen. He was there in Antioch, and um, he's there eating pork chops with the um, uh, with the Gentiles, probably. And the Jews came from Jerusalem, and all of a sudden he saw them. So he tips over to the kosher table. And then here comes after him, Barnabas. He's, he's stumbled also. And Paul got in his face and said, what are you doing, Peter? He was acting hypocritical. It has been said, you cannot repent too soon because you know not how soon it may be too late. The deception of sin and our own deception is, well, just one more day. Well, I'm going to. Well, as soon as I get this squared away. As soon as things happen. No. It's right then and there. We must understand that sin is a cancer, just like cancer. It will not go away if you ignore it. It is all malignant, resulting in death, Romans 6:23. The wages of sin is death. It will consume your entire life as well as mine, if we allow it, and we become a slave to it, once again, Romans 6:16. 6, I don't have to, but I still have the potential. We should not be afraid of judging open sin in believers' lives unless you or I are judging with a sincerious critical spirit while being blind to our own sin, Matthew 7, 1 through 4. And you just judge everything and you're critical about everybody, but you, you, you're blind to your own. you got this, this big 4x4 four four in your eye and, you, and you're trying to take the sliver out of your brother's eye. Okay? Also... If I'm judging others in the very same area, I'm failing, Romans 2.1, thinking that I can escape the judgment of God. It's wrong. Those who are sinning rebuke me from the presence of all that others may fear, we're told in 1 Timothy 5.20. I have never had to do this in the 29 years of ministry from the pulpit, but I'm willing. Why? Because I'm pushing my weight around? No. As long as we go through the process that we're going to see, that's the ultimate step. You understand? We who are spiritual are to restore one who is overtaken in the fall in the spirit of meekness, gentleness, considering ourselves lest we also be tempted, Galatians 6.1 says. So you and I are to have the right attitude towards the sinning brother, humility. I'm to have the right motive, agape love, in order to restore, not merely bring and inflict pain. All right? Sometimes we're only interested in making them squirm. That's not the goal. I am to whenever possible, put myself in that position, how I would want to be confronted. That helps out. Listen to Psalm 32, 3-4 through four, that David writes regarding the sin. David describes the agony of being in sin. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Miserable. Miserable. You think that sin makes you miserable in the world. You just get involved with sin in the Lord. Man, it's a whole different ball game. You used to be dead, now you're alive. If you pinch a, a cadaver in the mark, they don't say ouch. But if you pinch someone who's alive, you're going to hear them yell. I am to handle it biblically then, Matthew 18, verse 15 through 17. First by one, then by two, then by three, and if they don't hear, bring them before the church. That's the order that I'm to do it in, okay? You, myself, it's for everybody. You will note that the responsibility in that passage of Matthew 18 to confront is on the one offended, not on the one who offended Okay? If someone offends me, I have the responsibility to go tell them because apparently they're they're caught up in their sin. They think they're right. Okay? So the responsibility falls on me, the one that has been offended. Now there are some good guidelines we need to remember. Let me give you some. First, make sure that it is sin that is condemned in the scriptures, or that at times God has sent you, though the scriptures are sufficient to send you. Okay? God can't speak to you about. A friend, a loved one, or something like that. Second, make sure you have been praying for that brother or sister. Thirdly, make sure you wait on God's timing. That's always very important. And then fourth, make sure you understand that whenever there is open sin that is condemned by the Scriptures, God would have us to confront that person in sin and never ignore it or turn our back on it. Absolutely. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. I've told you often that if you hang out with people that are always telling you what a great person you are, get some new friends. They don't really love you. We are imperfect beings. And we need friends that love us. That will say, hey, come on. Straighten up. Get it together. Nathan's mission was confrontation of the sin. You think it's so easy? Hard. Have you ever had to deal? I've had to deal with friends that I love. Painful, tearful, but you have to do it. Secondly, seven through nine, the accusation of the various sins. In seven, the judgment of Nathan was personally applied to David. Nathan said to David, "You." Are the man, he nails them. He could have been pointing his prophetic bony finger. You, David. David is totally oblivious. Here, Nathan caused David to be caught by surprise. I believe with great pain because he loved him. There was no satisfaction in this. David's heart must have felt at this point for the sin that he had committed had found him out. He had been unmasked by God. He had been presented as less than the king he passed himself off to be or should have been. He was busted by his friend, his spiritual counselor, Nathan. David never knew what was taking place until the truth was applied to him. Until he was confronted. This is so important. This process is so important. Notice at the end of 7 and in verse 8. Now the past blessings of God were recounted to David because this makes him fall into greater guilt. The prophetic formula in verse 7 at the end of God speaking directly and personally to David uh, precedes the proclamation, Thus saith Yahweh Elohim of Israel. This is very important. Yahweh, the covenant God, the one who gave the law against adultery, Ammon Sinai. Elohim, the creator who created marriage between one man and one woman for life. And the God of Israel, who was holding David accountable in the first person, I. This is not about man. This is about God and David. Notice, God had chosen David. I anointed you king over Israel by the hand of Samuel, as you remember, as God's representative in 1 Samuel 16 13. But God was still the true king. This is what David forgot. Whenever you and I are put in a position of authority and power, we think that pretty soon, you know, we're, we're humble and all that, but everybody begins well. It's as you travel down the line, you forget who put you there and who you owe that to. And all of a sudden, people start abusing their power. Also, God had protected David. He reminds him, I delivered you from the hand of Saul when he attempted to kill him with the lance over and over again. Remember when Saul sent men to take David and kill him in his very house and he escaped through the window last time that Michael saw him and when Saul pursued David attempting to kill him throughout the period of time that he was running from Saul then God said he had prospered David I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping all that pertained to Saul you remember when he gave Mephibosheth all of Saul's property in 2 Samuel 9 9-11 he gave it back to Mephibosheth Saul had a wife, a Hinoam, one wife, and one concubine, Rizah. In 1 Samuel twenty five forty three and in 2 Samuel 3, 7, we don't have any, any record that he took them unto himself as a wife. But here the intent is that he had authority over everything of Saul's, okay? And so God reminds him, I did this, I did that, I did this, David. And then in verse 8 there, God had promoted David. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. Judah was first in 2 Samuel 2.4, and Israel was second in 2 Samuel 5.3. The united monarchy under David, God did it. And then God says these incredible words. Listen carefully. God had the ability to provide more for David if he would have wanted it. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Wow. It's like someone having enough money in the bank to buy whatever they want, and yet they go to some store and steal T-shirts. Why would you do that? And there are nutty people like that. Wasn't it Winona? Yeah. Yeah. Oops. David lost sight of his Privilege. David lost sight of his blessings. But the heart of it is this. David lost sight of, listen, contentment. You, wherever you live, we're all different. Some of us have more money than others. Some of us have different cars. Listen, when you lose contentment wherever you live, and you live according to where you're at, and you lose contentment, you are dead.
0: To those, much is given, much is required. Pastor Xavier Reese shows us how being content with what we have can become a powerful guard in our lives against sin. And you can find this program online to hear any part you may have missed. Just browse for today's date in the radio listings link at CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. But we're only partway through this message drawn from 2 Samuel chapter 12. And if your schedule won't permit you to tune in next time for the conclusion, as always, you can pick up a copy of this message on CD for only $4. And the title you want to ask for is simply, Nathan Confronts David Sin. Once again, the title to ask for is, Nathan Confronts David Sin. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800 926